Welcome back to the Worldview Minute. As we continue to build the Christian Worldview one minute at a time, we are getting to the question that every belief system has to answer. And that is the question, what went wrong? And we call this the fall in Christianity, that sin entered into the world, that mankind fell into sin and away from obedience and faithfulness to God. And every belief system, whether we're talking about Islam or Buddhism or modern forms of Marxism, will answer this question. And how you answer that question will determine where you look for solutions. And sometimes we think that the main problem is that humans aren't educated enough, so we, we pump billions and billions of dollars into education, and it doesn't really uh, seem to solve the problem. Maybe man isn't socialized enough, and so we give him therapy in, in different ways to socialize himself, but that doesn't really solve the problem either. Sometimes we think that the main problem is societal, right? That society is full of oppressive systems. And of course, society, occupied by sinners, can be sinful. But is the primary problem the expectations of society? Is the primary problem that I don't have a high enough view of myself? Well, however you answer this question will impact everything that follows. And for Christianity, the answer is sin. That our primary problem is found within ourselves, not outside of ourselves. It is that we have by, are by nature and by choice sinners. And as we've built the Christian foundations uh, of the worldview, our faith and practice, we've talked about the goodness of God. We've talked about the authority of Scripture. We've talked about the goodness of creation because it reflects the nature and character of its creator. We've talked about who man is, and we've only talked a little bit about the problem. And we're going to dive in in these next couple of videos on the nature of our problem, what has gone wrong, and that will set up for us what the solution is. But those foundations we've built, you will see that sin is going to touch and impact all of them. And today, or in this episode, we are going to unpack a little bit of the story. We're going to read through it. Genesis 3, verses 1 through 13, and we're going to unpack the paradigm that Scripture gives us to understand ourselves, others, humanity, culture, in this world. Like, this is a paradigm, and it is a paradigm for us to, to use to understand the world in ourselves because it is based on real historical events. If Christians leave behind Genesis 3 and we say, this didn't really happen, it's a fable just to get Christianity uh, off of the ground, then we undermine everything that follows. To put it plainly, the Bible speaks about Jesus as the second Adam. If there is no first Adam, there is no need for a second Adam. If the first Adam didn't fall into sin, then the second Adam did not need to come and die for our sin. All right, if there is no sin, if there is no actual fall, there is no need for salvation. There is no need for Christ to come. If there is no paradise lost, then there is no need for paradise to be restored. And this is just what it's going to be for, for all eternity. And so when we talk about Genesis chapter 3, and really all of Scripture, we're talking about history. We're talking about things that really did hap happen in space and in time. And so I want us to keep that in mind here as we build this Christian understanding of the world, that we're talking about real events here. So let's read along this passage, and then we are going to unpack some of the implications here. Because there's, there's a paradigm and there are patterns here in Genesis chapter 3 that you will notice in your own life, that you will notice in society today. And if you don't get these things right, if you don't understand these, you're going to be ill-equipped for the rest of life. So let's, let's jump in. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? So much going on here, right? There's a serpent. All right, we know as the story unfolds that this serpent is Satan. He's either manifesting himself in the appearance of a serpent or he's possessing a serpent. But there's a serpent in the garden. He's speaking. Serpents shouldn't be doing that. That should have given Eve a clue as to what's going on here. But he begins with this question. Did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree of the garden? This is a standard tactic of Satan. 
Did God really say that? Is that what he really means? Well, maybe the Bible doesn't mean this. I'm always weary of or wary of, of encountering any book or something that says, well, what the Bible actually teaches is this. Sometimes they're right, but more often than not, they're, they're pulling a, a fast one like Satan is here. Well, what the Bible actually teaches about homosexuality is that it's not wrong, even though the entire church and the Jewish tradition for thousands of years have, have said the Bible says this, and it's very clear that that's what the Bible says. Did God actually really say that? That is always the, the first steps of walking away from God's faithfulness, an attack upon the authority, and yes, even the clarity and the sufficiency of his word. Satan does this again and again. He twists, he distorts, and he tries to muddy what God has made clear. Yes, Eve's answer should have been clear. Yes, this, this is what God has said. And in our day, whatever, however Satan is trying to twist or distort things, we should respond by, yes, this is what God has actually said. Uh, she responds, the woman says to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. So notice the woman kind of affirms what God says. She adds some legalistic principles here. Not only should you not eat of it, but you shouldn't even touch it. The serpent responds. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. This is another tactic that Satan has used from the very beginning. He attacks the character of God. God is lying to you. God knows that you're not surely going to die. God is not going to judge you. Is that not what we hear often? Like The Bible clearly says God is love, and people have distorted that, taken love to mean something that the Bible doesn't mean by it, and say, well, God won't judge me. I'm a good enough person. God is just love. He, there is no judgment in him. You will not surely die. This is straight from the mouth of the serpent. Those lies are not rooted in what God has clearly said. The judgment passages of scripture are repeated again and again, Old Testament and New. God will judge the wicked. God will judge the unrepentant. You will die for your sins. And you will die in hell for your sins for all eternity if you do not repent and believe. And so, he attacks God's character. God's lying to you, but he attacks it in another more subtle way. He says that God really doesn't want you to have something good. He knows, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. This is the idea that God is a scrooge. He is a miser. He's withholding something good from Eve. The reason why God has told you not to eat of this isn't that you're going to die, but that you will become more like him. And he doesn't want you to have this good thing, this, this pleasure, as it were. And again, we often bring this view of God today and Satan likes to twist and distort it. God is withholding good from us. Now, everything good that exists in this world, whether it be the pleasures of sexual intimacy, the great tastiness of food, the beauty of creation, those are all expressions of God's goodness. Those are all him giving us good gifts. God is not a miser. He's abundant in mercy and graciousness and beauty and in love, but he does issue commands. And he is not withholding something from us. There's another tactic that we see Satan uses here is he offers her a promise. Right? You will become more like God if you do this. Now, we're reading Genesis here. We see that man has already been made in the image and likeness of God. Eve is already like God. And as she does this, she does not become more like God is. She actually becomes less like God. And so this is a, a reoccurring theme. Satan tempts us with something. He promises us something but he does not have the power to actually give it. 
And so we are tempted in a myriad of ways. That if you do this action, if you think this thing, if you do this thing, if you get something, that you're going to be satisfied. And there's always that momentary relief, that momentary pleasure. But then comes the shame. Then comes the guilt. Then comes the emptiness. And then comes the desire for something else. And we are like, as Jesus says, dogs who return to their vomit. We vomit something up. It didn't work. But we go back to the vomit and we eat it again. Moving on with the story. And so the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. So she took of it and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. And at the heart of human rebellion here in verse 6 is this idea that man has taken up the seat of God, and the woman declares this fruit to be good to eat, pleasing to the eyes, and is desired. So what you have here is a desire that the woman has. She then acts on the desire, but it begins with a thought that she can declare this to be good. God himself is the one who gets to draw the lines. He gets to say what is acceptable and what is not. So we have this, this thing that always happens in sin. We justify it, and but we are making a moral claim. We are claiming the authority to declare what is good and what is evil. Is that not our day? Everyone does what is right in his own eyes. And Eve takes and she eats. Her husband is with her. He's apparently close by allowing all of this uh, to happen. Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. So they take, they eat, they disobey. There's immediate shame and they try to cover themselves. And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you to not eat? And the woman said, oh, Sorry, and the man said, The woman whom you gave me to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord said to the woman, What is this that you have done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me. And I ate. And we're going to continue with this in the next video. But notice, there's guilt, there's shame, there's separation from God. They were trying to hide themselves from the presence of God. They used to walk with him. But this sin has introduced a separation and a distortion in the relationship between the creator and his creation. And notice the man's response. Just at the end of chapter 2, he's praising God for the woman that God gave to him. But now he's cursing the woman saying and blaming the woman. The woman you gave me made me do this. And it's also your fault, Lord, because you gave it to me. He turns to the woman. Well, it's the serpent who deceived me. And there's truth in this. The serpent did deceive him, but she's still responsible for what she has done. And so we have this paradigm established for us. We know the tactics of Satan. He doesn't have anything new. He twists. He distorts scripture. He does that to Jesus when he tempts Jesus in the wilderness. He quotes scripture to them. And, and Jesus responds to him with a true interpretation of scripture. He he attacks the character of God. He offers us something that he can never actually give us. And then when we take the sin, we, there's this momentary pleasure, but then there's the fallout. It doesn't actually satisfy. We don't actually get what we want. They're not actually more like God. They're less like God. It never satisfies. And we then feel the guilt and the shame and we try to hide ourselves from God. And then we always blame someone else. We shift the blame. We feel guilty and we want to say it was someone else. Why is this so important? Because this is what has gone wrong. We are establishing this funda foundational reality for us. That we live in a moral universe. 
that God, not man, gets to establish what is right and what is wrong. That man reaches out and tries to take God's seat and say, I can determine for myself what is right and wrong. But the Bible says, no, you can't. That's what the problem is. A heart At the heart of all of our problems is not that we need more education, not that we need to think better of ourselves, not that we need more money, more socialization, more self-esteem. At the heart of all of our problems is us. That we are sinners by nature and by choice. That we have usurped God's role or tried to usurp God's role and tried to fill it with ourselves. And in doing so, we've been deceived and we don't get the very thing that we want. As we reach out to grab it, it slips through our fingers. So the fall establishes for us what the problem is. It's a moral problem. And a moral problem will require a moral solution. A removal of our guilt, which we of course find in the person in the work of Christ. In our next episode, we're going to unpack Uh, the fall's curse, that God is now going to respond to what man has done. I encourage you to like, comment, and share as we continue to build the Christian worldview one minute at a time.